0: As Paul comes to the uh, conclusion of this second letter, uh, there are still some matters that need to be mentioned. And uh, in chapter 3, we're going to observe how the Christian life provides both opportunities and obligations. The the opportunities <clears throat> give us a way to... Uh, serve and grow through doing good. They give us an opportunity to uh, be concerned about others. But there are also obligations that give us a way to show that we're really serious about serving God. The opportunities might be there and we don't take enough concern to meet the obligations that we have because of those opportunities, and and truthfully, neither the opportunities nor the obligations ought to be neglected. Now, hopefully, the Thessalonians read and benefited from what you and I have read of Paul's words to them, and uh, we're glad that we can benefit from the very same words that they could benefit from. I, I, I wanted to note this. I, I began to think about this a little bit. And, and uh, sometimes when people don't really want to obey apostolic teaching, what the apostles teach, they might argue like this, and this has been done, Paul wrote to those churches, those churches, long ago. And he didn't write to us. So the obligations are for Corinth and Ephesus, Philippi, places like that. He didn't write that that to us. Now, if you accept that kind of thinking, what you have to reject is all the letters to the churches and all letters to individuals. Because the truth is that Paul wrote nothing to the Graeber Road Church of Christ in Rosenberg. There's not a letter in your Bible that says to the church in Rosenberg. There's not a letter in the Bible that says your name on it. And so if somebody is going to say, well, that's just for other people, then what do we have? We, we don't have any apostolic instruction at all. We don't have any understanding of uh, the church or organization of the church or anything else if, if we simply dismiss that. Look for a moment at, and we'll get back to Thessalonians. Chapter. Look at Colossians 4 and verse 16. And think about this verse. Now when this epistle is read among you See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Why, Paul? Why should something that you wrote to Colossae be read in Laodicea? And why something that's read in Laodicea ought to be read in Colossae? Because the truth is the truth. And it does not change from place to place. Some people simply use that as a dodge to keep from obeying what they know they should obey. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 3. And I'm using the New King James Version. If you're using something different, then you may have slightly different wording. The the chapter begins with finally. And this reminds us of what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. That chapter begins with finally. In that particular case, it's a little confusing because there, there are two chapters remaining when he says finally. Here, people could see it more naturally because it is the final chapter. However, the word in the Greek literally means as for the rest. It doesn't mean this is the end. It means as for the rest of what I need to say. Paul began that earlier in First Thessalonians here. It begins in what we call the third chapter. In in verses 16 and 17 of the previous chapter, Paul had offered what amounts to a prayer for them. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That was Paul's prayer for them. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, he had written, We give thanks to God always for you. We're always giving thanks for you. And now it is his turn to ask them to pray for him. And so he says literally that uh, in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. And and that in the original language, the Greek language here, is present tense, and it shows continuing action, which really means keep on praying for us. He's not just saying offer up a prayer for us sometime. He's saying keep on praying for us, because Paul would knew that it would knew that it was important that those prayers continue before God. You know, Paul was never hesitant to ask others to pray for him. And he did this on a number of occasions. Remember back in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, verse 25 very simply says, brethren, pray for us. And and so, but not just there. In Romans and Colossians, he asked for the prayers of the saints. And he acknowledged in a couple of other New Testament letters, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, and the little letter of Philemon. He he acknowledges that he understood people were praying for him and and expresses appreciation for those prayers. I think uh, one of the things that's important here, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, uh, the fifth chapter, he had said simply pray for us. Here he is more specific. And he says that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is in you, and that we may be delivered from from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. There are two things that he has in mind. And incidentally, before I get to those two, that's really the most beneficial way to request prayer from others. I, I mean... It's it's all right to say would you pray for me? That that's certainly appropriate. Paul did that. But there are the, the times that we need help the most are those times when we need to say specifically, would you pray for me about this? Because that way the person you're asking can approach God specifically with your need. And God knows it. But it certainly helps you to have that in your mind and in your heart. Um, two things in mind: that the gospel might travel quickly. Oh, I, I I almost don't want to tell you this, okay? Because I I was reading this and um, I I thought to myself: here's something that I've read many, many times, and, and it needs to be a sermon. I've never preached this sermon. That, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. You, you will notice if you're using the using New King James Version, the word swiftly is italicized, meaning it's not in the text. It just says run. But, but the word that is used here in the Greek uh, is uh, a, a word that means to run speedily. In fact, the RSV, Resi- Resi- Revised Standard Version, says uh, may the word uh, speedily advance or something like that. A- and so it's like a runner in a race. And, and I was thinking about this. Why? Would Paul ask for the Word of God to, this is metaphorical, of course, like a runner in a race. Why would he want it to move swiftly? You can think of a lot of reasons. And I'm destroying my sermon, but here, I'll tell you. Because Paul didn't know how long he would last. He didn't know how long the world would last. He'd been talking about Christ coming again. He understands that men are dying all the time. He understands, as he writes in another letter, that even as a great door has been opened to him, any door that's open can close too. And and so I think Paul has in him a sense of urgency, and he says, brethren, pray that the word of God gets out quickly so that men have an opportunity to hear it before they're eternally lost. And then he says, and be glorified, and be glorified. He he wanted not only the gospel to go quickly, but that it be successful. Again, the RSV says triumph, may it triumph. Uh, the, The idea is to be effective in men's lives. And one of the reasons we know that's true is because of what he says, just as it is in you." It's been effective in you. Now, if you were a Thessalonian Christian and you just read that, a couple of things would have probably come to your mind. One is, Paul loves people enough that he really wants the gospel to get to them. And and he's asking me to pray that God would help that to happen. But he's also saying something very kind about us. That he knows the gospel's been effective in us, and, and and I'm certain, as you are certain, that that would have made them feel good. You know, Paul had sometimes to say some very strong things to churches, and sometimes he had to rebuke them and talk about what was wrong. But he also tries, on a number of occasions, to tell people that he has confidence in them, and he does in the Thessalonians. In verse two, he says, "And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith." We wonder, does he have the Jewish opponents in mind? Likely. Remember what had happened before when he was in Thessalonica. If you look at at Acts seventeen, remember while he was there in in the very first time, Acts seventeen. And verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men in the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. They, they were ready to tear Paul apart. And then he leaves there and he goes down to Berea and what happens? They follow him and, and they try to destroy. He has to leave Berea as well. Back in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they uh, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men um, why 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 are they opponents well they're evil but but the root of why they are opponents is they don't have faith and, and in the in the Greek Testament the, the definite article is there before faith it is the faith. They don't have the faith. They don't have faith because they don't have the faith. If they had the faith, they would be proponents of the gospel, not opponents. And and he says of them, and he does not mind saying of them that they are unreasonable. They're not. They're unreasonable. And they're wicked. They, They have proved that by their actions. In contrast verse 3 but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one <clears throat> They could count on God to be faithful just like they could count on these wicked men to be faithless He would Excuse me he would establish them and guard them. Now, the word establish literally is to strengthen, to make firm. What's interesting about Paul saying, God will establish, the Lord is faithful, who will establish you, is that in James 5 and verse 8, we read this James says, Establish your hearts. He's writing to Christian, establish your hearts. And so, which is it? Is God going to establish us or are we going to establish us? Well, both. If it is to happen, it will happen because there is cooperation. God will add to our efforts. He will help us to be strengthened. But no one should expect God to do it all. And no one uh, should think that we could do it all by ourselves. There is going to have to be a cooperative effort. (coughs) <coughs> then he talks about guarding uh, he says and guard you from the evil and then the New King James uses the word one the evil one uh, <coughs> literally I think it's just guards you from evil and so, so it has led <coughs> excuse me, some to say is it the evil one the devil or is it Just from evil, that which is uh, caused uh, to be evil. It's hard to know. Uh, Probably what he really means is both. He, He would want God's guarding him from the evil one, the devil, because he was an active opponent, but also from evil doing, which these wicked men would certainly be involved in. Now, in verse 4, he he says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Didn't have any confidence in some of these evil men, but in you we have confidence both that you do and will do the things we command you. Um, Paul didn't just have confidence in God. He had confidence in these Thessalonians as well. And he says, you are doing now what's right and you will do in the future things we command. As we we go through this chapter, you will see the idea and the word command more than one time. Paul is saying, you are doing, you will do what we command you to do. What, What that is, is an authoritative order. A command is an authoritative order.